In the early hours of March 18, 1990, two police officers entered Boston's Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. The problem was, they weren't police officers. They were thieves. In a little over an hour, they stole 13 valuable works of art, which had a combined value of over $500 million. It was the largest robbery in American history. Learn more about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus get $20 off your first order. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond Bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by Skillshare. If you love art or you want to be a better artist, then you'll love all of the art classes which are available on Skillshare. They have online courses available on almost every variety of fine art. They have stuff on drawing, painting, sculpture, wood carving, ceramics, and even paper mache. With Skillshare Premium, you can have unlimited access to everything for as low as $8.25 per month. Go to everything-everywhere.com slash Skillshare to get a free two-week trial of Skillshare Premium. The Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum was, not surprisingly, founded by Isabella Stewart Gardner. She was a very wealthy woman who lived in Boston and had a very large art collection. She was known to be a very eccentric woman who would flout the upper-class conventions of the Boston elite. She famously showed up to a concert of the Boston Symphony Orchestra in 1912 with a white headband that said, OU Red Sox. That was a really big deal at the time and caused much clutching of pearls and fainting. She was born into money, was married into money, and inherited a lot of money. 
She traveled extensively around the world and purchased art wherever she went. She established the museum in 1903 and worked with the museum to curate its collection for 21 years until her death in 1924 at the age of 84. She left the museum $3.6 million in her will, and she stipulated that nothing in the museum's collection should ever be sold, nothing new should ever be acquired, and the artworks shouldn't even be moved from the walls. She wanted everything to remain exactly as it was. By the 1980s, the building housing the collection was getting a bit run down, and security was very lax. In 1982, the FBI warned the museum of a plan for an art robbery, but it only resulted in minor upgrades to the security system. The museum had no security cameras installed inside, and most importantly, they only had a single button with which they could call the police, which was located on the desk of one of the security guards. Other museums used a system where guards had to call the police every hour to notify them that everything was all right. If a call wasn't made, then the police would come. And the guards were also paid barely minimum wage. These facts would all become important. The robbers arrived just after midnight on Sunday morning on March 18th. March 17th, by the way, is St. Patrick's Day, which is one of the biggest holidays in Boston, and this year it was happening on a Saturday evening. There were two men who were dressed as policemen. There were witnesses who saw them on the street, but they assumed that they were police and never thought anything of it. There were two guards on duty that night, one 23 years old and one 25 years old. For one of them, it was literally their first night on the job. Museum procedure dictated that one of the guards would patrol the building while the other sat at the desk with the button, which could notify the police. At 1.20 a.m., the two men in police uniforms buzzed the side entrance, and they said they were there because of a disturbance call. The guards didn't know of any disturbance call, but they looked like real cops, and it was St. Patrick's Day, so something might have happened, so they let the police in. The men in police uniforms told the guard at the desk to call the other guard down, which he did. One of the supposed cops then said to the guard behind the desk, the desk where the buzzer was, that he looked like a suspect they were looking for. He asked him to come forward, which he did, and then threw him up against the wall and handcuffed him. They then did the same to the other guard, and that's when they notified them that this was a robbery. They then put tape over the guard's eyes and head and marched them down into the basement where they were tied to pipes. The robbers took their wallets and told them that they knew where they lived, and if they cooperated, they would get a reward in a year. All of that took about 10 minutes. From there, the robbers went into the gallery and started taking art. In all, they took 13 items, an ancient Chinese vase, a golden eagle from a Napoleonic flag, five sketches from Degas, three works of Rembrandt, one from Manet, one from Flink, and biggest of all, the concert by Vermeer, one of only 34 known Vermeer paintings in the world. The robbers checked on the guards before they left, took the security tape, and left the building. The entire operation took 81 minutes. The total estimated value of everything which was taken has been placed as high as $500 million. The Vermeer itself was worth half the entire amount, and it is believed to be the most expensive stolen object in the world. When the next shift of guards arrived, they couldn't contact anyone to be let inside. They contacted the police, who then finally found the guards bound and tied in the basement. With the artwork gone, the question then turned to who did it and where is the art? One of the things that stood out is that the robbers probably weren't experts in art, and they probably weren't sent there to steal something in particular. The way they handled the art indicated a lack of familiarity. Moreover, they didn't take some far more valuable objects. 
works by Raphael, Michelangelo, and Titian's The Rape of Europa, probably the most valuable object in the museum, were untouched. The first suspects were, of course, the guards. Many heists are often inside jobs, with at least the help of someone on the inside. The FBI did investigate the guards, but concluded that they were, quote, too incompetent and foolish to have pulled off the crime. Not exactly how you want to be exonerated, but I suppose it's better than being arrested. Attention then turned towards organized crime. Boston's most famous mob boss, Whitey Bulger, denied any involvement. Supposedly, he was even angry that someone had pulled this off on his turf without giving him a cut. Some researchers believe that Bulger was involved and may have worked with the Irish Republican Army, and that today the stolen art is somewhere in Ireland. However, there's little evidence for this. Then again, there isn't much evidence of anything either way. The two suspects with the most circumstantial evidence were Robert Guarente and Robert Gentile. They were in the Marolino Gang, which was a mob group that operated in Boston. Guarente died in 2004 from cancer, and in 2010, his widow told the FBI that he did in fact possess some of the paintings, and at one point had given them to Gentile for safekeeping. Gentile was arrested on drug charges in 2012, and was asked about the paintings while being administered a polygraph test. He denied any involvement, and failed the polygraph miserably. The police raided his home where they found news clippings from the time of the crime, as well as a list of the artwork with estimated black market values. Sketchy, to be sure, but not really enough evidence to pin the crime on him. Another suspect was Bobby Donati. Donati died in 1991, a year after the heist in a gang war. Supposedly, he wanted to steal the painting so he could use them as leverage to get his friend and convicted art thief, Miles J. Connor Jr., out of jail. The motive at least makes some sort of sense, because trying to sell art that is so well-known is next to impossible. In 2013, the FBI announced that they knew the names of the two original thieves, but didn't say who they were other than the fact that they were believed to already be dead. As of today, 31 years since the heist, no one has been arrested, has admitted guilt, and the paintings have never been found. The statute of limitations for the crime passed long ago, so arrests couldn't be made now if they wanted to. The museum has promised not to press charges against anyone who can return the paintings, and the reward for their safe return is now up to $10 million. As for the museum itself, the odd stipulation in the will of Isabella Stewart Gardner that nothing be moved in the museum left them with a quandary. What do they do now that several of the pieces are gone? The solution they came to was the simplest. They just hung the empty frames that the original artwork was held in. These empty frames, with nothing in them, are some of the most popular exhibits in the entire museum. The associate producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Thor Thompson. If you'd like to support the show, please donate over at Patreon.com. There is content only available to supporters merchandise, and even opportunities for a show producer credit. If you know someone you think would enjoy the show, please share it with them. Also remember, if you leave a five-star review, I'll read your review on the show.